by Pepe Boys and Pepe Boys LLC. Subsidiary terms and conditions apply. Hey, oh boy! Oh boy! Oh boy! Movie leader standing by. Uh, go for Pete. Might want to close the blast doors so that we can kind of get into this. Uh, yes. And then while so your problem, child, and while Josh does that, the dead do speak. Oh wait, no, they don't. And a little fun fact: Roken, that's his last name. I know that because I'm on the Wikipedia page and for. Name. Yeah. Based on that interview we saw. Reva Crackers. Moses. Yeah. With Moses Ingram. She was like, oh yeah, I play Reva. Mm hmm. And yet, according to Wikipedia, it hasn't updated yet. Interesting. Calling you out, Wikipedia. So, this is the action pack finale of the special event of Oh Boy 2 Kano Boys, season one and done? One and done? Or what do you think? What was the description? It was like it was action, a, it was packed, action packed, packed finale, finale final event. event. No, a special event, a special yeah. event. Um, I mean, he, he obviously has to. I here here is a take. I here's here's a couple of takes I had. Okay, um, spoilers for full spoilers. We don't have much news. We already recorded yesterday. We're going all in. Yeah, I mean, um. The news is this show is pretty good, but um, well, all right. Based on that facial expression, we're gonna have we're gonna have a conversation. Oh goodness! I so obviously I thought Reva was gonna die. Yeah. Third sister, right? But I also thought that there was gonna be some way that they were going to like hit Ewan McGregor with force lightning that mm. was gonna age him. Oh to get god! To, that would have been terrible. To get to. No, no, um, no. Him doing that. No, no, no. Oh, I would have hated that. Oh, I would have hated that. And also, I also wanted to see Luke, um, like, eat it into the sand, and he'll be like, oh, it's everywhere. Oh I hate this sand. I wish I was an Alderaan. And then everyone's like, oh, you have no idea. But no, the first one, I, I 100% was like, this is something I could see them trying to justify... Ewan McGregor, fit boy, turning mm. into Alec Guinness. Great actor. Right. But... Aging was di different in the 70s. Different in the <clears throat> 70s. His cardio probably didn't exist. And I... This is headcanon at best and kind of preposterous. But part of me is like... And we'll get to the end of this episode. But he has this whole, you're free now. We both are. What the heck is he free of? He's still obligated. He, he's like, oh, I have no more. Like, I don't have an obligation to look after Luke anymore. Or he just no, he's yeah, of yeah. He's like, you can you can look after him. I'm, uh, it's yeah. okay. I'm not going to look after him. Interesting. Doesn't I mean? So he just decides to stay on Tatooine. Yeah. Interesting. That's I mean that's a very simple answer. I'm just, I I buy it. But part of me is also like. And this is, like, the opposite of how it should go. But is it one of these things where, you know, he spends these first ten years holding on to the Clone Wars and to, you know, what he thought was the death of Anakin and all this terrible stuff. And he's, like, living in the past. 
And then now, at this finale, he finally lets go, and he also just, for lack of a better phrase, lets himself go. He's like, oh, it's okay. I can stop dyeing my hair now. Stop dyeing my hair. Stop with my skin routine. <laughs> right. I don't I can, need to wear sunscreen anymore. I can, I can let the dune sea over, overwhelm right. me. I've got no, you know, responsibilities anymore. Or is it also just, you know, he starts to live a more hermetic life, and maybe he quits that job he had, and he's just sort of even more on the fringes and goes off to, like, Burning Man and stuff, and just... Well, so, <clears throat> Rogue One, and we'll get to the, how it's pl- applicable. Rogue One oh, is... Star Wars story. ...is right before New Hope. Right. And that is, what, nine years um, after yeah. this show? Yeah. And then Rebels, the cartoon where Obi-Wan was seen before the last time that was seen, is set... Seven or eight years after this. But it's set like a year or two before Rogue One. Yeah. Because it's, it's leading up to Rogue One. Right. So we see Obi-Wan near the end, almost up to New Hope. Mm-hmm. And is a lot more calm is a lot more, um, still, like, obviously looking after Luke, but just from a distance. Yeah. Um, but, I don't know, I mean, I, the weird thing is, if you watch episode three, he drops off the kid, it seems like he's peaceful, or it doesn't seem like he is as broken as the show makes him uh, come to be. You think? I mean, I don't know. You, all you get to, you don't hear him say anything. He just kind of pops by. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's all very, I don't know. I never got the impression he seemed fine. Mm-hmm. Um. He's doing now what Yoda originally was like, here's the mission for you, um, which is kind of like saying to somebody who no longer works for you, <laughs> hey, I got something for you to do. And it's just like, why, why would I even begin to do that? <laughs> I'm not on payroll anymore. Mm-hmm. You don't. You don't. Um, you don't control me. I'm free now, like Riva. So yeah, I, guess, I mean your your exclamation. I guess I can buy that because it just yeah. I don't know him saying we're both free now. I mean I get you know Riva is hopefully free of you know these events that have haunted her her whole life. But for yeah for Obi Wan, yeah I guess is he just like. Yeah, I guess, I guess I'm I guess I'm okay with the idea you proposed of like no I'm free now I don't need to worry about training this boy he just needs to be a boy, and I'll go off and do whatever. But I am also like, what freed you of this responsibility, and why does he leave? Well, so I mean, yeah. at, at, he obviously has no skills in parenting. Right, sure. The way that the Jedi are set up, and this is like the first. This this goes back to the first scene of the first episode, is when you're a kid, you're in pods, yep. and then you're in that pod of eight, and then you have like a master, mm-hmm. which is where Reva is. She was at she was at the youngling stage. She wasn't at the Padawan stage like Ahsoka. Right. And then you get a master. So that's his style of parenting that he's aware of, and then he learns kind of. How to be a ki- how to how kids should be kids through Leia because at various points she's acting like a complete and utter nightmare for him mm-hmm. because you know he's trying to get her off that planet in the, in episode two and she's trying on um, gloves and she's trying to eat and then she screams at him and I think the show d- does a good job of explaining like 
They just need time to be themselves. Yeah, I just... What, what... Because I guess my big questions, mm-hmm. and I will call them questions rather than, than issues, because that's the thing that these... You know, I've been thinking about a lot, and it's like, you know, you had your sequel, or, you know, the original trilogy, you had your prequel era, which was a lot of our growing up, Clone Wars and those movies and all that, and then you had the sequel era, and now we're very much in, like, an interquel area, mm-hmm. where everything is bookended at the beginning and at the end, and so there's all these sort of movements that have to be done to accommodate that, and you're always kind of cognizant of where people start, where people ended, when you're seeing these new stories that happen in between, and it's... It's just strange, like, where, when does he decide Darth Vader needs to die? When does he decide if Luke doesn't kill Darth Vader, if he doesn't kill his own father, the man I had at the edge of my lightsaber and could have killed myself, Mm -hmm. but decided not to, then we lose. Like, what changes? I guess the Death Star, maybe? Because it very much feels, from a spiritual, I guess, perspective... I was like, oh, yeah, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi should feel freed of the, the constraints of the Jedi Order and of the, the dogma of that to, to be his own person. But there is also, like, this, it feels like maybe a bit of an abdication of responsibility a little bit where he is holed up on a planet, then he goes out into the world, sees the ills of the Empire, sees all the bad they're doing, and then comes back and goes, oh, yeah, okay, I'm good. I'm going to go off in the desert, and I'm not going to watch the kid. And it just... It's a weird... It now leaves a question mark to me of, oh, so something else happened, I guess. Like, so he goes off, and then Qui-Gon Jinn is like, oh, no, you did wrong. You gotta kill Vader. Is that what happens? Is it Qui-Gon Jinn influence him? Is it Yoda? Does Yoda bully him into it? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Because there were moments, and we've... In early episodes of this podcast, that I mentioned, like, oh, yeah, I now believe that he believes Anakin needs to die. But then he doesn't. And then I guess he's just like, oh, Anakin actually is dead. Okay, fine, but Darth is still out there doing evil. It's very, I don't know, it's very strange to me. It's very strange to me. Well, it's also, is in the last scene of the action-packed part of the episode, Mm -hmm. which, you know, ends at, like, minute 27, then we got ten more minutes of just catching up on people all over the place. Um, Is it... Him trying to, like, show mercy, or is it he just, he can't kill his friend and the father of these two kids that he's very emotionally connected to? Then what changes, then, is my thing, is, yeah, and again, not saying that nothing changed, I mean, there's more stories to tell, and... I think being a Star Wars fan for as long as we have and, like, watching The Clone Wars, which was sort of an interquel and it, you know, happened between two and three and, and watching Rebels and stuff, you do learn to, like, have to recontextualize characters and, and where they are. And Obi-Wan Kenobi in particular is a character we've had to recontextualize a lot. I mean, we find out he had a great love in his life. We find out that he thinks Luke is the chosen one. Which, right. When the heck does that happen? Right. Because I was thinking about that with the chosen one of in the mall. Obi-Wan final showdown, Mm -hmm. which if you watch Rebels and you'll get to see that. Um, You know, he's very adamant that Luke is the chosen one. Right. Right? But if you just base that off of this TV show, Leia's the one that's much more um, 
a capable, more capable. I mean, yeah. I mean, she's got the bulliness, and she's yeah. um, <clears throat> foolish like her like her dad. Um, she has every good trait that comes from her mom, which tracks with most children. Um, shout out to the moms, but we still we have no explanation of that of why. He comes to this conclusion that Luke is the one that's the chosen one. Right, because you're, and again, I'm willing to, it's, it's very, there are very small amounts of Star Wars that I'm not willing to really interact with and fit into my own understanding of the saga at large. Uh, it's just Rise of Skywalker, pretty much, that I've decided that characters in that movie are actively lying and not telling the truth, and okay. that's how that movie works, but... Um, for me, for a long time, and because watching this finale in particular, I remembered, all right, Obi-Wan Kenobi is like one of my favorite Star Wars characters. He's arguably behind Ahsoka Tano. He's probably my second favorite Star Wars character. And a big part of that is Jim McGregor's performance. And, and I, But you guess, I mean, I don't know. We're all boring people. We don't make lists of our favorite Star Wars characters that often, so it doesn't occur to me. Well, also, we don't need filler content anymore. Very that true. Is, if we weren't recording <laughs> weekly episodes, that would 100% be something. We probably already did it. Um, but I... Before the show, a big part of my appreciation of sort of maybe the tragedy of Obi-Wan Kenobi was that he was this great hero that then had to spend the whole second half of his life in solitude watching over this little kid in a, in a desolate planet with no friends and stuff. And to me, in that Rebels episode, when he says, yeah, Luke is a chosen one, there was, a, there was a bit of a pain to that because it, it felt like perhaps this is a man who... he Luke has to be the chosen one because if Luke's not the chosen one, what has he been doing with his whole life? Mm-hmm. Like the whole end of his life has been dedicated to this child, right? Mm-hmm. And in my head, I was like, oh, yeah, okay, maybe that's... But that's like after the events of this show, that does not feel... That doesn't ring true. That no, doesn't work I, I, I 100% agree with that. So now I'm like, well, why, why does he say that? And I, yeah... It's it's very strange because it feels like with these intercool type things in particular, it, there were moments previously where there were constraints that existed because of when shows took place that were kind of fun to play with. Like I remember in Clone Wars, because Anakin says, Grievous, you're taller than I thought you'd be in episode three. They have to... They can't meet. Yeah. And so there were scenarios throughout the Clone Wars show... Where they don't meet, where they are, are close but not close enough, and yada yada. Yeah, and I like, remember that being like, okay, like this is enjoyable enough. I get like the one constraint, but with this, I felt like there were a lot, and it felt like you have really compelling characters. I mean, I you know I love Ian McGregor's performance, I love Moses Ingram's performance, but in the the finale here, it felt like they were sort of like ghosts of their characters trapped in a house, and they could only move within that house. There was only so many places they could go in these hallways. And, you know, their performances were incredible, but where they were positioned and, and how they got there and stuff sometimes felt like it wasn't a character making, it was a decision. It was, you I'm, know, a ball going down a path. Because it's just like, this is the gutter you have. You will go down this gutter. I, I think of it more as if you were to describe these shows and building on each other as like a like a like a track and field race where you have like a four-man team or a four-person team mm. and you know you're passing the baton to each person and it was pretty clear of 
All right, here's Reva. If somebody wants to take this character and go, mm-hmm. you can do that. Okay, if we find this to be popular enough, we can bring Liam Neeson back and we can do this Ewan McGregor stuff. And it was kind of intentional of, here are these moments that can be expanded upon, but we're not going to tie this into a neat bow so that we can provide latitude of, for example, Reva adding another 7th or 15th or 30th force sensitive person that might be alive um, during episode um, 5, 6. Mm-hmm. When Yoda's like, there's nobody left. Well, I'm not speaking to where they end up necessarily as much as like what, I don't know, the whole Reva attacking the Lars Homestead, very much, like that in particular felt very tedious in terms of it's just like, it feels like an unspoken thing of Luke can't see a lightsaber. Right just because of his reaction to turning on a lightsaber in A New Hope. So why even go down this path where someone is igniting a lightsaber and chasing him, but you keep... Because he could have just hid. He could have just hid, and that's it. Or, you know, but they, they it, there's this insistence on pushing it right up to the brink of these own kind of assumptions that we have. And I guess I'm just like... it. You can feel the constraints of it, and you can feel the, like, careful coincidences of, oh, he's running up the ladder just as she enters the room with her lightsaber. And it's dark, and he's never seen a Tuscan Raider before. Right, it, well, and, right, and by the time she's outside, she turns her lightsaber off, and, and then she doesn't turn it on again until he's knocked out. And ten-year-olds are very stupid. Sure, sure. Right? And he got hit in the head, he could have forgot, I don't know, and it... Because again, like, so all of that just felt so, you could feel muscles working, you could feel it being written. Um, that said, the result of that is this scene where you have a little boy passed out and her with her lightsaber out. And that whole sequence, that moment in the performance there, and the performance of the conversation she has with Obi-Wan after the fact, that's all incredible. I mean, that the acting here is, is so good. And I mean... Uh, uh, Owen and Baru also excellent. I mean, they're such a small part. Well, it's also they have they have such little dialogue, but you you, like Baru, right? Um, Making that comment of you know Obi Wan's gone, Mm. and she's like, whose Whose fault? fault Whose fault is that? Right? And just all of this like resolute, like absolutely not. We're not leaving. We're gonna home alone this. Yeah, and we're not gonna do a good job of home aloneing it, but mm-hmm. we're gonna do like you got through her <clears throat> literally 30, 45 seconds. Of, I mean, certainly she didn't have that much of dialogue. No. You know, she has a couple lines there, but they do such a good job of you can tell that Luke having a connection with Owen and Baru in New Hope. Mm-hmm. They build on that, and yeah. they're very connected to it, and the fact that Baru has a different mindset than Owen. Yeah. You know, in New Hope of like, you just got to let him go. You got to let him leave. And you see that already here. She is less, Owen is more afraid and he is more afraid of, he's more afraid of the possibilities that Obi-Wan Kenobi's involvement can bring than Mm -hmm. he is of the good it can bring or like willing to accept the good. And with, you know, the, with the Academy or the Flight Academy, he's, you know, more afraid. Because that's the thing with these intervals as well is like I said, they, they recontextualize stuff 
recontextualizing stuff in Star Wars is always kind of tricky because people are so passionate about it, myself included. I mean, like I said, I have my own little headcanon where I was like, oh, this is why Obi-Wan thinks Luke is the chosen one. But with these recontextualizations, it, it takes stuff away. Like I said, that kind of headcanon I had doesn't ring true anymore. But it gives you stuff as well because I think one of the great gifts of this show is this recontextualizing that we get, particularly of Uncle Owen, Mm-hmm. Where it's very clear from this show that he loves Luke. Right. I mean, he loves Luke. He risks his life for this kid. He says he is mine. He's There's all this beautiful um, communication of, of, of the love that he has for this boy and that Baru has for his boy. Though I think, you know, Baru, you already get the impression that she likes Luke. Um, and it just makes their horrible murder mm-hmm. in the original Star Wars now... Is so upsetting. Like, I'd be very curious the next time, because I almost watched A New Hope after watching this. Really? It's, okay. Because it's a continuation of Kenobi, pretty much. That's okay. the next time you see Kenobi in live action. And this idea that they do ultimately end up making the ultimate sacrifice, and you get, like, that that Owen and Baru knew this was happening, or knew it was going to happen one day, and that they had this inevitability of, you know, people come from before, they'll come from again eventually, um, you know, I don't know. It's it's and that's that's a really beautiful wrinkle to introduce into this because I mean it, you know just going off of Star Wars, Owen's you know a curmudgeon. You just get like oh he's you know he's a square dad. He doesn't understand. I want to go race and yada yada. Um, and now you you have this idea of oh no he had a lot more context for what was going on and yeah I don't know that was a gift that was a gift that this show gave for sure as as frustrating as I found some of the like trying to dance between the raindrops of assumptions and canon schmanin as you'll find out next week um yeah because it's not i don't i certainly am not trying to begrudge these like i'm not saying like oh this stuff is immovable or whatever and like i'll sit and wrestle with this and think about it and because that's that's the other takeaway i had from like clone wars and stuff or like a lesson i feel like i learned pretty early on in my in my Star Wars fandom is just like, well, yeah, but that's what happened. Like, people are like, oh, Last Jedi, that, you know, myself included, that chase, it makes no sense. Like, why does it make sense? They're like, well, it doesn't matter. That's what happened. So, you know, it made sense or it didn't. That's kind of what happened, though. Mm-hmm. You know, for better or worse. Um, and you... It's, it's one of those things they talk about... What is this? Like a form of pottery or something? Or where you, you work in the mistakes, or it's like a pattern, and you make a mistake in a pattern, and then you just incorporate the mistake into the pattern. Mm-hmm. And there's, Star Wars does, I mean, in a long enough timeline, a lot of these strange hiccups do become compelling, or they are, you know, someone, like you said, with a baton, someone picks up the baton later and finds a way to work that into this tapestry in a way that makes a little more sense or a way that resonates a little more. So I'm sure it, that'll come eventually. It is so, like, <clears throat> meta that the one-sentence mess-up here or there, we just think in 10, 15 years there are going to be another show to fix the mistakes that or to expand on what was said in these Obi-Wan series, similar to, you know, Rogue One, similar to yeah. Han Solo and, and the Die. Yeah. Um, but that being that being said, why don't we... All right, he, let, I'm going to be positive um, for this next part. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I so you said you wanted to watch New Hope after watching this. Mm-hmm. I immediately wanted to watch three scenes from I, New Hope. No, no, no not from, not from New Hope. I wanted to watch the episode three Mustafar duel. I wanted to watch the Ahsoka Darth Vader at Korriban. Mm-hmm. I don't think Korriban. Moriban. Mor Moriban. And then the Obi-Wan Maul um, showdown. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, it, 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 it's pretty clear, you know, they, um, in the duel when Obi-Wan does that, like, parkour, like, he does that, like, kind of jump spin. It's not really a spin. He just, like, leaps forward mm-hmm. at Darth and, like, you know, hits him in oh, the face. yeah. Because, um, I don't know if you've seen, um, but Ahsoka hit the other side of his face. Mm. So it's, um, she hit the left and then he hit the right uh, to kind of show that they both tried to bring Anakin back, but he was just completely gone. Interesting. Mm-hmm. He hits the left. He, he hits the... Well, Anakin's left. Anakin's left, yeah, yeah. Okay. Anakin's left. <laughs> she hits Anakin's right, yeah. Yeah, it'll be definitely it because as <laughs> that is part of another like that that scene was incredible, but I, part of me was like, "Yeah, but the rebels did this already." Oh, okay. And now, they did it really good, and this show also did it really good. Now, but I do think let's give some credit to rebels. They're like verbatim down to mixing the voices of the actors together and mm-hmm. all this stuff. Still an incredible scene, and it is you know it's a different relationship that gets, I mean that gets explored in, in the sequence between the two of them than in, in the scene in Rebels, but yeah. So we haven't talked about this, but it's very clear. This is a, a face-to-face uh, oh boy to oh boy sesh. Mm-hmm. And we watched episode six, part six, together. Yes. But the first time I watched it, um, that moment <clears throat> when the duel is over, mm-hmm. when he says that he killed... Um, Anakin, right. and you can see the little part of his like mouth smiling, his smile. just his cute little smile, just chills. Absolutely, oh, yeah. absolute, absolute chills. Do you think that he wanted Obi Wan to kill him? See, I don't know because this gets into what his motivations are, and it's a. It's a it's a blessing and a curse with Darth Vader because that mask gives away so little. Mm-hmm. But it's you know like I used to back in Episode Three of this series, Part Three, he has a thing where he's got Obi Wan on the ropes. He's dragging him over fire, and then all of a sudden the fire gets reignited, and he's like, "Oh, let him go this time. No, I'm not gonna get him this time." And there were we had a discussion back then about like, oh well, maybe his motivations are that you know this is all he has left to look forward to is his revenge and, and getting Obi-Wan. And to him, and his little back-to-tank with nothing to live for, this is like what he daydreams about, and it has to be just right. Right. But then in this show, he just shows up, he throws him in a hole, dumps some rocks on him, and immediately turns away. No ceremony about it whatsoever. He's like, okay, yep, you're good. Bye. This is what I spent 10 years singing about. Bye. I don't know. So it... If they had, if they had, if they hadn't done as much, like, why does Darth Vader let Obi-Wan Kenobi go? Why does Darth Vader grab one ship, and then nobody's in it, and then the other ship goes away, he doesn't even try and grab that. 
there's there's all these you know decisions that are made that kind of muddy the water in terms of like the character motivations where at first I was willing to be like oh no there's deeper motivations at work here and and I I was like, oh, there's a reason he let Kenobi go here. There's a reason he does this, he does that. And then now I'm like, I don't know. Did he want... I mean, it's a good question. Did he want him to kill him? I don't know. I'm inclined to think no. I'm inclined to believe him when he says, I killed Anakin. Like, my great triumph was, I am a whole new thing now. And I think maybe to him, killing Kenobi would just prove that to himself even more. Because I think we know having seen Return of the Jedi, that he's wrong. He didn't kill Anakin. Mm-hmm. I think he would like, I think he would like to believe that. And I think to him, killing Obi-Wan just does even more to prove that. And his insatiable appetite to, to kill Kenobi, or so you think, except he lets him go, uh, is, is part of like, no, I need to prove to myself that I am Darth Vader now. I did kill Anakin. And it's all this like, imp penny, imp pound. I've done this much. Like, I have to fully commit to being this now. So I don't think, yeah, I don't think he wanted to die. I think he wanted to kill Kenobi. Now, <clears throat> what did you think of the line, which I really, I really enjoyed the line of, and I definitely thought this was motivating and certainly something that Obi-Wan would think, Darth saying, I'm not your failure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm the one that killed him. Does for me, I feel like that provided closure to Obi Wan to be yeah, like a very nice thing for him to say. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's also something that is very reasonable that a younger person would say is, "I'm not defined by you." Yeah. And you are not a significant part of my life. I did this separately. Which in Episode Three, Obi Wan has like it is not Obi Wan's fault, and the only oh. kind of fault it is is. They are still Master Padawan, mm. even though really they're not. Like yeah. they give him, they give Anakin so much responsibilities that should not be thrown to a Padawan. But yeah. like everything that happens is not because of him. Right. There's no right? one person to blame. It's a larger system at work. Because I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because it, you essentially, if you distill it enough, I guess you have Reva and Anakin in similar situations where they are tasked with killing a kid. Mm-hmm. And Anakin does that, and right. Reva does not. Right. And I think one of the telling differences is when Anakin does it, there is this machinery of a sprawling political conspiracy and a military-industrial complex and a spiritual order that has fallen from grace and has gotten sucked into... A war and there's just there's just so much there's a society and a cultural failure behind Anakin when he falls and does that that Reva is maybe a little free of like yes the Empire is terrible but I think Reva knows the Empire is terrible like there's no conflict there like she knows there's no subterfuge and Anakin's I mean, the thing that's so compelling to me about the prequels is it just speaks to, unfortunately, how easily and how, how susceptible young people are to, to a cause and how easy it is to take advantage of young people's passion and young people's desire to help the world around them and to, to be pointed in the direction where they can help people. 
and that that can be perverted and really mess with folks and mess with people's heads. And that happens with Anakin in a way that it maybe doesn't necessarily happen with Riva in that, like I said, there's no machinations behind her. Like she has her own cause. She found her cause. Anakin gave her a cause. Unfortunately, I mean, a, a very horrible cause, but yeah, I don't know. There's a difference. I don't remember how I got started on this tangent, so I'm, I'm going to opt out. It was the conversation of... Um, oh, whose fault it is. Whose fault, right. whose fault whose it fault is. It's it not is. your fault. Because yeah. yeah. that also could speak to Obi-Wan's opinion at the end of giving Luke up, being like, mm-hmm. you know, you can take, you can, uh, take the reins for all of that because I am no longer burdened by the idea that this was 100% my fault. Right. And could it be, yeah, because we have for 10 years, he is acting, he's, he's, he's retaining his mission, but for those first 10 years, he's doing that mission out of guilt. Mm-hmm. And now he's got a clearer head and a, and a higher vantage point of the situation. And he's still going about that, but he's like, no, there's a more uh, sane way or a less emotionally inhibited way of going about this, perhaps. Because they do like to throw that dialogue in a bunch of times of like the last um, dialogue between Roken and Obi Wan. You're not doing this for us. You wanted to. You want to yeah. take him on. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which they're. I mean, they're clearly trying to set that up. Right. Right. Um, let's talk about that early stuff with Roken and everybody. I texted you. We usually have a rule that is instituted on we, your on on I your mean, side. Yeah. Right. Let's be real. It tends to be instituted because of you because. Traditionally, you have been able to watch stuff much quicker than me. Yeah. Um, but I, where you are only allowed to text me how long an episode is. The only thing you're allowed to text me about an episode of new stuff is how long it is. And I also told you you can't even use punctuation. Mm-hmm. You can only text me. How well, long I mean, it you is. you don't like spoilers. You don't like right. coming in. I don't want. I don't. As as you know, a few friends will say opinions are spoilers, which is obnoxious. But you know, it's part of the fun. Um, and then I broke my own rule because I assumed that you had watched both and I texted you on, on Wednesday. Now that Kenobi is over, um, I'm looking forward to not getting all choked up twice every Wednesday between Kenobi and Miss Marvel because there were moments in both of those shows that uh, really hit me where I live. And I will say in this show, in the beginning, it's it's Uma McGregor insisting to the assembled, you are the future. Really? You are okay. survive. And it... Nothing to do with Star Wars even, really. It's just like, you know, the world being what it is, I feel like that's a sentiment that isn't out there. I don't feel like people are acting in with that in mind. I mean, how strange would it be for someone to in a position of power to express that and for you to believe them and to say, like, no, we're doing this. It inconveniences us, but we're doing it for you. Because you are the future, and we are actively looking towards the future. And that's just not a thing. Or I'm pessimistic enough to not think it's a thing. And so him saying this, I was just like, oh, wow. I needed someone to, I don't know. I actually view that, and this is not a one-for-one, but I kind of view that as the people that do the good work that if we were better people, we would do. So, like, actively protesting, Mm -hmm. actively, you know, um, campaigning for people that promote causes <clears throat> that you align with. And Obi-Wan's kind of like that person that ran for office and lost. Mm-hmm. So they're kind of damaged goods. They can't run again. But you still look to them as a leader, 
even though you really shouldn't look to that person. You should instead be looking for the future for that. But it's also, I mean, that was kind of a... It was, it was interesting, too, of... In episode six, and I believe episode five, there's this whole, I will save these people no matter the cost. I will... He knows that I will do all of this. Mm-hmm. Whereas in episode one, you know, that random Jedi um, that dies, you know, he he doesn't have that kind of feeling towards people that are being hurt or, or anymore. Yeah. Although, doesn't he, like, clench his fist a couple times when... Um, oh, when... Um, oh, my gosh, I have the guy's name. I have the guy's name. When <laughs> Groff Ditcher... And his the, boss. His boss... Uh, is mean to that, like, dad of, you know, that dad with kids. Yeah, but the difference is with that first Jedi, the Benny Safdie Jedi in the premiere, he is not, he is not involved in that at all. He is not a, a, a leverage point. Whereas when he is with all these people in the path, he is actively being used. Like, they know Obi-Wan Kenobi is a thing. He is a known entity in this equation that people are exploiting. But I mean, I also do think, yeah, like, he... He comes back into his own um, and, and has a, you know, a new lease on all of that kind of stuff. Now, this is just for our benefit, okay? So I apologize, listeners. But in the event that they ever update the Star Wars Trivial Pursuit game, I, I should let you know, listeners, that the water boy, he does have a name. According to Wikipedia, it's Darden Shul. The water boy? The, you know, that um, Reva, like, he's giving... He's, oh, in he's, the beginning? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good, good, good. Yeah, yeah. Darden... Sh- I mean, they're they're putting names for everybody. Darden Shoal. You gotta. Yeah, I don't... It doesn't look like there has been any, uh, any new Star Wars trivial pursuits since this Episode 7 one that we just played last night, and I did win, and we did have a good old time. It was very close. It was very close. Um... Let's see, some stray thoughts here, because I took a lot of notes, but they are in no particular order. Um, how, okay, well, here's, you know, another another positive, is going into the show and when the show was announced, when the show when it was announced to be a show instead of a movie, and even when it was announced to be a movie, you talk about, you have these expectations or these assumptions of what these characters did with their time off screen, and you get, I think... I'm probably not the only one that just assumed, oh, Obi-Wan only stayed on Tatooine. And as soon as they announced an Obi-Wan thing, I was sort of like, yeah, they're going to they're gonna make him leave the planet. Yeah, like 100%. 100%. And then they announced they are bring Darth Vader back also. And I think not knowing anything about the show, not seeing the show, I was weary of both him leaving the planet and of him meeting Vader again. And I will say I thought both of those things I had no problem with. Mm-hmm. Within the context of the show, I thought they executed it very well. Um, I mean, I don't know. I guess why he says, when last we met, I was a student, now I am the master. I guess he, Darth Vader recontextualizes that to think, no, okay, I was still a student of the Sith or something. Maybe I have Well, I mean, he was calling him master, too. The, right. The, yeah. That's true. That's true. Which is nice that, you know, even <clears throat> though you're a Sith Lord, even though you, you commit all these atrocities... If you get the degree, you gotta you gotta recognize the degree, okay? So mm-hmm. if they have if they're a but doctor, really. you gotta call them a doctor, not master, really. master. Um, I will say yeah, to kind of add to your to add to your point uh-huh. of, I didn't know it, it didn't really make sense to me that they were making such a big deal about Hayden Christensen coming back because Darth <laughs> Vader, you know, it's like 
obviously you're not going to have him do the Darth voice. Right. Because James Earl Jones does such a great job. And it's just so great that the guy's like 90, 91, mm-hmm. and still is able to, is still provides a performance that you would never be able to tell. Incredible, yeah. That he is um, that 91. old. All right. Yeah, he, there's, I mean, we've. I'm sure I've said it before, but there is a thing where it's just like, Everyone can hear Darth Vader's voice in their head. It's such an iconic voice, and we can all do like a very bad impression of it. But just when he does the voice, you realize how off every impression is. Because every impression is just, oh, it's just a deep voice. But there's no, there's like a, there's a beauty and a music to how he does that voice. And I will say, like, a huge moment for me in this movie was, even though they weren't filming it together, obviously, Ewan McGregor and Darth Vader on screen fighting each other and Ewan McGregor having a conversation with James Earl Jones and those voices clashing and stuff really I mean there are certain moments in Star Wars that are just such beautiful connective tissue that remind you of like the scope of a story as a whole which like I'm not Pablo Hidalgo I can't see the whole thing you know I'm not able to to take the whole thing in as as one at any given point and it is easy to sort of just be like well this is Clone Wars well, this is the movies. This is the prequels. This is the sequels. But they're all one thing. At moments like this, they really all do feel like one thing. So when you think when they make the making of, which is I forget what the documentary Disney is. Gallery Plus. So when they do that, oh, you think they're gonna, gonna show that, yeah. similar to um, an Empire where the actor that was playing Darth David they, Prowse. They, David Prowse, they would like play his voice, mm. right? And you know his voice was like, oh yeah, I want them alive, <laughs> right? Is that like? There's no way James Earl Jones was there. No, right. No. Well, obviously he wasn't there, but I don't think they were playing his audio. Right. It was probably no. some whoever whoever was in the suit at that point. I'm very I'm gonna be very curious to see was Hayden right. in that because he's credited in every episode except that first one, I think. Well, not just that though, but like they make a big point of Ewan and Anakin did almost all of their stunts. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And, like, he did, you know, he did a couple of the Anakin moves Mm. in, like, Obi-Wan did the, like, twirling your lightsaber behind, which is great, and, you know, switching to the being ambidextrous a couple times with with the lightsaber. So there's kind of some nods to episode three. Mm -hmm. But going back to my original point of how tastefully they use Hayden Christensen of, you know, that flashback, which I... I flashbacks to me. I'm fine with flashbacks. Yuck. Um, but that one, that flashback hit me real hard. Yeah. To start, what was that episode five? Yep. Episode five, part, part five was was so good. They, I mean, they did they did a huge service to Hayden. They gave him like a big role, and he, I mean, he absolutely knocked it out of the park. He did. He did. He did. And he, I mean, his moment as Vader at the end of this episode was. Was really it's chilling. Yeah. It's chilling. Yeah, I'll be I'll be very curious what Miss Columbo makes of all of it. That's for sure. Because yeah, I you know, I'll be watching it a third time in the near future. Um, oh boy, so well, many notes. Let's give um, Deborah Chower flowers. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Because let's. I mean, we now have. I mean, they sort of have that skirmish in part three. But let's just, for the purposes of this discourse, not really call that a full-on bout compared to... Because, I mean, the first fight we get with them is in Star Wars, in the Death Star. And then we get this insane bombast in Episode 3. 
And then I think we have this big, you know, third fight with the two of them here. And I think, A, I thought this this battle at the end of part six did do a really good job of being somewhere in the middle of those two. Because it was very flashy, but it wasn't, I mean, the end of episode three is just insane. And there's lava everywhere and flipping and it's it's just so over the top and so much. And I thought this was a good halfway point between the two where it was largely like it felt like pretty practical like yeah those are two guys who are really good with a sword but i think the big the biggest difference with this fight as opposed to the other two was the direction and how it was much more stylistic and there was i mean i think there's even like some handheld stuff in there and the camera was doing all because george lucas doesn't move his camera really the original Star Wars movies, the first six Star Wars movies, the camera's not doing anything crazy. Mm-hmm. It's very rarely zooming in or out. It's very rarely panning around. It's almost, I don't know if it's ever handheld. Right. Um, and this, we get, you know, these classic characters, but the camera's, you know, the camera's done its cardio. It's moving around. We're looking up from above. Um, and I, yeah, I thought that was really cool. I thought that, more than anything, said, like, oh, no, this is Star Wars now. Like, this is a blend of, of, it's got, you know, you've got Ewan McGregor from the prequels, you've got Darth Vader from the original trilogy, and you've got, you know, a little bit more of, like, a person that isn't George Lucas's flair. You know, there's right. a little more style to it, which is definitely something that's been introduced since Disney took over. I mean, you look at, like, Last Jedi in particular has a lot of stylish camera moves and stuff that would not previously be in Star Wars. And there's, you know, there's sometimes where... I think people will think that stuff is maybe too stylish for Star Wars because, again, it's usually, you know, set the camera down here and they just stay there and move around. The camera doesn't do anything. But I thought it was, again, a very, very beautiful, like, connective moment. Just the style meeting with these characters. It it felt um, like it honored the past and it honored the present. And, yeah, very cool. Very cool. And Deborah Chow did a, yeah, a really good job. Very excited for... For what she'll do next. Uh, I mean, I, she's clearly... If they can, I think they're going to do everything they can to keep her. I wouldn't right. be surprised if she moves to... Mar- like, she could right. move to Marvel. Right. Right, yeah. That's the thing. Or she could just be like, okay, I'm going to, you know, go the, go go do a movie on my own or, or something like that. I'm sure she's got pretty close to a blank check at this point. With well, the her. other thing, too, is she's one of the few people that's had access and is shown to be proficient with the volume, mm-hmm. right? Because you were telling me that the Batman had volume Batman and then... Yeah. Stagecraft. I and guess. then there was... What was the second movie you are saying that's... Oh, Thor. Thor Love, and and Th- Love and Thunder apparently utilizes the volume. Which makes sense because Taika had what? Right. He had more in season one. Yeah. That's a good point. I hadn't thought about that connection there. Interesting. So, I mean, it's it's we're definitely going to see Deborah Chow again yeah. in some context. And it shows, you know, um, for everything we say about Johnny F, um, <laughs> I mean, the people he picks, and it's not just him, you oh, know, yeah, Kathy yeah. and Dave, um, I, and we're pro- I'm probably overestimating each person's um, relative role in all of this, but she did, I mean, she did... The world building was was crazy. Um, the that you know scene that you were talking about was cool, and it's also like how do you incorporate you know it's like how do you, how do you incorporate a lightsaber duel 
that there have already been, you know, at this point, I don't know, eight, ten lightsaber duels. Mm -hmm. And how do you make it fresh? How do you make it unique? And, I mean, there are certain parts where, like, um, like when Obi-Wan keeps doing that, like, military crawl thing where he's just, like, crawling around Vader. Hmm. Um, I don't know if it's called a military crawl where he's, like, like um, doing those, like, little squats as he's, like, circling around <laughs> Vader. Uh, was, like, something... It was, like, a crawl roll kind of thing. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking right, about, well, but I, I believe you. Um, was like was cool. Uh, yeah. Vader using a rock to knock out Obi Wan's feet. Yeah, really, really and cool. Obi Wan pelting him with rocks. I mean, just Vader in motion in this episode was spectacular. Mm -hmm. um, because now you know in the in the Disney era he is very much just uh, I'm so powerful I just stand here and I choke you and I don't really move and I'm I'm just an imposing presence. But he's very mobile in this fight. But it felt, I mean, there was such a danger. I mean, if, had this been done maybe 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago, I feel like we'd be looking at, like, a CGI Darth Vader doing backflips and stuff. Or, like, like right, there's, a very, right. there's a very real danger where you make Darth Vader too mobile, too acrobatic. He's all over the place. Well, it would be like know. episode three with um, Palpatine and Yoda where they're just... Perfect example. Yeah. Perfect example. Which I, I enjoy immensely. Yeah, I don't like Palpatine at all, ever, so. But okay. I know, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a perfect example where all of a sudden it's like, wait, this doesn't, the physics of this doesn't add up. Like, what mentally I read as this character's mobility is is being broken. But I thought they did such a good job of, I mean, he felt, it felt like Darth Vader. It didn't feel like, okay, cut here, put in, you know, Jean-Claude Van Damme or whoever, also flipping arms flailing like it felt there's a continuity of character where this felt like the same body that walked down that alley and killed that kid and was just choking people and being intimidating and barely moving this feels like the same body we see like at the end of the corridor in rogue one um yeah especially I, going back to part five with mm -hmm. um vader versus reva just literally oh. literally toying with her right and like you and I Thank know, reminding me about that scene because I like it so much. Because you and I, you know, Such a good fight. know that the Inquisitors are basically intentionally weak. Mm -hmm. You know, there's not even a remote like level and skill between Vader and them, which yeah. is also kind of like why would Reva go after that person? Although I think at that point it was more she was desperate than anything right. else, not like her actually having any nuance to it, mm -hmm. but. I mean, it, they just do such a good job of showing how powerless she is, that he can do all of this without a lightsaber, that mm. he can throw her a lightsaber and still just absolutely annihilate her. Um, they do a good service to Vader in terms of absolutely. showing his skill, showing his power. Yeah. I mean... And like it's making it still feel like Vader. Yeah. Because, I mean, at, one, at some point, it's, it's, he's so powerful... It's like, how does Obi-Wan actually beat him? Mm -hmm. Which, you know, um, I'm sure that's a, a, it's a warranted debate you can have. Of He really shouldn't have at, at this point because all of Obi-Wan occurs over, like, what, three days? Who knows in space, you know? Yeah. But it's also, I mean, there's also, I think, just in your back pocket, you have the argument of what are you fighting for? 
mm-hmm. and you know the inspiration behind what Vader is fighting for versus the inspiration behind what Obi Wan Kenobi is feeling, you know fighting for, and he's fighting for something bigger, and that maybe gives him that little extra oomph. Um, I'm glad you bring up Reva's fight in five in terms of like why would she do that? Why would she think she could beat him or whatever? I in this episode really didn't. I guess I'm like, what's Reva even doing? Like where we leave her, she decides she's gonna. I guess I guess she intuits that Luke is Anakin's son, right? And so she's just like, okay, I'm gonna kill a son, and that'll be my revenge. And there is sort of a like grasping at straws to it all. And so on one hand, this is one of those things where it's like you have a question, and I think you have to make a decision of like, am I gonna decide that they did this intentionally, or am I gonna decide? that it's a big ask and they want me to, to, you know, do the work for them. And I think like in, in part three, when Vader lets Obi-Wan go, I have now decided they wanted me to do the work for them. I don't know why he did that. I don't have a good answer for that. I don't believe that they have a good answer for that. The text certainly doesn't have a good answer for that. And the location too, of yeah. how that makes sense. Like just yeah. walk around the hill. But for the Reva thing, I mean, I was like, this kind of doesn't make sense. Like, what is she doing? What is this? But it is also just like, this character is, like, broken. She started broken. She's even more broken after her defeat. And it really is just, like, you have to figure her whole life is going towards this one moment. Right. And it did not go well. And now I feel like maybe she also doesn't really know what she's doing. She just had she had a direction. Since Order 66, she's had a direction, and that has been taken from her. And now it's just, like, a search for any direction or any, any reason anything to do and that shows up and she's just like fine this this i'll do this and so i i was initially like wait but what is her plan what is she doing but i don't think she does have a plan i think no she I'll certainly doesn't that. yeah i will give them that i feel like she is emotionally and intellectually at a point where it's like nope there is no plan i'm just i i don't know what to do i'm broken i'm lost i don't know and i think her most ingram's, ingram's performance in that final scene she has with kenobi really reflects that as well um I will say I really hope she doesn't just end up having the future of every um, defected villain where they just join the Rebel Alliance and then, oh, now I wear Earth Tones. Like, that kind of happened in Battlefront 2. That happens with a character in Rebels. There's nothing wrong with that. But Reva, for me, was such a character that broke the mold. Like, I really, really enjoyed her story in this. I really am hoping that... um, when the baton is passed with this character, that they do something more interesting than, oh, she's a rebel now. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, I also kind of feel like I hope they do something more interesting than, oh, she's a bounty hunter now. Because those feel like that's that's your options. Well, so the way that her age works is she's presumably, what, 10 years younger than Luke and Leia? Older. So, sorry, 10 years older than Luke and Leia. Um, so, as her being one of the many chess pieces where you have no idea where she's going to be. Yeah. Could she be in Ahsoka? Could she be a Knight of Ren? No. What the hell do you know? I, mm, I'm going to beat you. Not, not, not my head cannon, Reva. <laughs> I don't think she would be either. From what we know of the Knights of Ren, that doesn't seem like her deal. Right? I, I think her giving up her lightsaber is speaks to her not not doing that <laughs> could she be in fall uh fallen order survivor oh, yeah, yeah. um so I don't know what I want for her. 
I kind of want her to, I don't know. I just like, again, I just feel like that character broke the mold so much and I'm so excited for that character. Um, and while it definitely seemed like she was probably being set up to die, I'm certainly happy that she didn't, but I do, I do hope, I hope that the, the next, um, the next creators that, that pick up that character, the baton of that character, uh, give her the, the nuance and the thought that I feel like that character deserves because I really enjoy it. Well, her. if you want to have no nuance whatsoever, I'm going to predict she's going to be at, um, she's going to work for Moz. They'll have some, mm. they'll, they'll come back to Moz kind of at some point and she'll be like just a person hanging out. That's, that's, that's how they're, that's, how, that's what they're, that's what they're going to do to her. But also, boo, um, boo. Five, six years from now, I mean, we are certainly going to see that character, whether it's an animation. I mean, we're seeing Emphis Nest in Andor. You keep saying this as if it's been confirmed. Well, she's confirmed to be on the show. Is she? Yeah, I'm... Is she? All right, well... um, I mean, that would be cool. I am fairly confident in that, Hmm. but I can take a look. Um... I would certainly... I mean, I love Infa's Nest. I love that character to show up again. Um, but also, I guess we don't know when Andor... Well, we know where it ends, but we don't know where it starts. Um, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm hoping Reva shows up again. Um, vamping while Pete does a Google. I've been just saying this... <laughs> Yeah, and there's, 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 no, there's nothing yeah, to just... Of course not. For some reason, I thought yeah. that she had been rumored in that. Well, rumor, maybe. I mm. mean, again, it'd be cool if she did. Oh, oh, okay. She is in the Willow cast. Right. Aaron... Okay, that's... <laughs> okay, because she was she was at Celebration, uh, I believe. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I know she's in Willow. Okay. Now. Head cannon, she's in, she's in the Andor. Sure. Um... Season two, yay or nay, for Kenobi. Is this I mean, something you'd be interested in? Yeah, I mean, I love yeah. Ewan McGregor. Yeah. And there's literally no other way that makes sense for him to be in more Star Wars, and I would like him to be in more Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah. Now, yeah. does it need to happen? Absolutely not. Um, do I need to know why Luke's the chosen one? I don't need to. I guess I would like to. Though, I mean, who knows? You know, we've got this uh, Marvel comic right now, the Obi-Wan comic. Maybe that'll shed some light on something. <coughs> um, I mean, every character that's in that, that would be in season two, so like Bale and um, Leia's mom, both of those actors are insane. And it yeah. It was so, so good. Owen and Brew. But if there is so a season good. two... I mean, they're not going to interact with each other. Right, yeah. I'm kind of like, uh, you know... I mean, bring young Leia back for sure in, in, in some other property, I guess. But it's just like, everyone in Leia can only hang out, I feel like, so many times mm-hmm. before it just becomes too weird that in her message, she's like, oh, hi, Obi-Wan, you were friends with my dad. At a certain point, you got to be like, hi, Obi-Wan, remember me? We just talked two days ago. Like, we're good friends. We go right. way back. You saved my life. I mean, there's an argument to be made of, like, that's not information she wants leaking out if someone gets this message or something. But I guess what I really need is I need <clears throat> Kid Biggs, and mm-hmm. I, need to know why, I need to know why Biggs, he makes it to the Flight Academy, or the Academy, is it just the Academy in mm-hmm. New Hope? How does he make it before... 
Luke, does he test better? Well, he's Are, just allowed. That's all. Oh, it he's is. just allowed. Okay. Lars doesn't, or Owen doesn't let Luke even take the test. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we just need to know, more, like, what is this test? Yeah. Is sure. it essay based? Is this more ACT? Is this more SAT? Is there a xenophobic tilt towards it? Um, because <laughs> it's the Empire, you know, it is the Empire. Um, but no, I a hundred percent would watch it. Um, and I honestly think you and McGregor, Hayden Christensen would be on for that project. I mean, Hayden Christensen has been pretty vocal that he'd like to be in a, in, in a, in a Darth Vader spinoff. Um, and he's mentioned reading the comics and there's, you know, some interesting stuff in the comics. I mean, there's a lot, like there's one comic where it's literally like a bunch of Jedi try to trap Vader and then he kills like nine of them. Hmm. Um, that would be that would be that would be really good because one thing that we also don't get and um, for those of you that didn't watch Rebels, you're not really missing much. We don't get a Grand Inquisitor like all he does is get stabbed and right. then talks about the gutters a bunch. Yeah, um, we get um, the fifth brother just being angry all the time about what he, he's owed. Yeah, yeah, and then um, the eleventh sister. I don't well, I was like fourth, eleventh. Who knows? Yeah, it's not seventh. Seventh no, is no seventh in round. And we're back. And we're back. And we're back. Um. So I think we should end where this episode ends in a discussion on that. But before we get to that, I have. Let me just get through a few of my um. Stray thoughts I have here, uh, things that don't really need discussion, but I just have to say. Uh, I would have liked to have seen or heard Hodge's conversation with Leia. Okay. Like, Leia's mad at Obi-Wan for leaving, and then Hodge is like, I'll go talk to her. And then cut, and then he's like, I talked to her. <laughs> I I think... Might be a deleted scene. I hope, because I feel like I feel like that whatever that scene is... I think Kamal Johnny is an excellent actor. I feel like that's a scene that gets me good. I feel like that's okay. a scene. I feel like that was that would have been a, a, a good conversation, and I would have enjoyed that scene. Um, I hope it's a short drive from Tatooine to Alderaan, because he is there for five seconds, and then he turns right back around. And they do a very good job in that scene of showing kids and how just obnoxious they are that <laughs> oh, yeah. right like he has gone this whole show he like sacrifices his life mm-hmm. he's going through all these things these trials and tribulations they see each other right and she's like no no don't go don't go don't go yeah. and then the very next time they see each other <clears throat> what does she do oh, oh Lola! which is such a 10 year old thing to like it is a kid thing to do yeah so like it's very on par for that but, I mean, we've been talking off mic um, a few times about this, of comparing Leia and Luke, 10-year-old Leia and 10-year-old Luke, are a year older than Anakin in Episode 1, because Anakin's nine years old in Episode 1, just the stark contrast between the two of them. But they do, at various points, at least in my opinion, you know, I mean, I don't have a, a Poe uh, po kid, um, but it's very believable that those are kids and that they do that. Like, I can easily see a kid um, not realizing what they should be doing, running to Obi-Wan, and instead running to the toy. Yeah. Like, oh, there's my dog! Yeah. 
Oh, thank you for getting my dog. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're here? That's great. Yeah. Uh, speaking of kid stuff as well, I think, you know, you talk about, like, oh, why does Obi-Wan exist? Like, what is, what is this... What is the purpose of this show? Is it to, you know, connect the prequels and the sequel... Or the, you know, prequels and the original trilogy? Is it to show the Empire Rise of Power? I think they've proved that this show... The reason this show exists is to make Luke seem like even more of a pouty little baby when he gets all mopey after Obi-Wan dies in Star Wars. Right. Because originally it's like, oh, Luke is so sad, even though Princess Leia's entire planet and her whole family just got murdered. But Luke's the pouty one, because the guy right. that he met five minutes ago just died. But now on top of all that, it's also Leia knew him more. Right. Leia's been way more time with them. And even on top of all that, Luke is still the pouty little guy. I don't know. Um, poor little fella. Did you... I don't know if we touched on this, but before we wrap up, I do want to discuss it because, um, like, to, to me, genuinely before this show, we talk about headcanon and stuff, and I always did have this, like, oh, how does Obi-Wan find out that Anakin didn't die? Because I think he, when he's leaving him... On Mustafar, I think he is leaving him for dead. Right, he thinks he's going to die. Right. He just doesn't want to... He just isn't strong enough to make the final kill. Right. Which, they do a good job in that flashback of, you know, our purpose is not to kill. Our purpose is defend. You defend life, you don't take it. Yeah. And other than... You defend life by lighting it on fire. Other than Obi-Wan, you know, (laughs) cutting Darth Maul in half, which he's very emotional in that point, so he's not sticking to a, a strict code, and then shooting Grievous in the heart, yeah, uh, which is also a brutal mur- murder. He, he tries to stick to that. Right. So for me, I always thought in the back of my mind, oh, eventually, because Obi-Wan Kenobi knows who Darth Vader is when he talks to Luke in, right. in A New Hope. So eventually, he has to find out that Darth Vader lives. Um, but I think, you know, Ms. Columbo did not see it that way. She was like, "Oh no, he of course he knew. He already like so the the idea of Obi-Wan Kenobi discovering in this show that Anakin is still alive." It was re- it was really good. Why? To me, that was an event that hadn't happened. And so seeing yes, that made agreed. sense to agreed. me. Agreed. I think there's maybe some people that, you know, assume that that wasn't the case. Okay, so we're on the same page with that. So, unless you have anything else, I feel like the Qui-Gon of it all is left to be discussed. Yeah, it's um I, so I talked to... All right, so two things. One is um, people have criticisms, and you know we've talked about some of our gripes on this, but a lot of people talk about Kid Leia and have been making these complaints about her. But I think... I challenge you to get a better story of why he leaves the planet than introducing yep. her. Like, I didn't think, you know, I probably rolled my eyes when we go to Alderaan in the first episode, but five episodes later, it is a great um, story plot to get him out of Tatooine. Yeah. Right? It's not, Absolutely. oh, uh, Quinlan Voss um, is... Ahsoka came and asked him to... <laughs> oh. Go fight. This Jedi's like, hey, have you heard of the path? Yeah, we're we're doing our own own um, own little way of surviving, <clears throat> right? Um, it was it, that was a great 
um, way of getting him off the planet. Yeah. Um, but the other thing that people would talk to me about is, I need Qui-Gon. I need Qui-Gon. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, Liam Neeson's Qui-Gon Jinn, one of, you know... Standard part of the prequels, for sure. Right. And also one of the, you know, people that really kills it in their standalone movie, right? Like, a bunch of Rogue One characters mm-hmm. have that. Um, and... I'm sure that there's some other um, options that I'm just not really doing. I thought I, I actually enjoyed the five seconds of Qui Gon. I, yeah. I didn't I didn't need to see more. I can see why people would want more, but yeah, I thought it was kind of goofy. But I also think that Force Ghosts are always kind of goofy when they show up. Like the end of Return of the Jedi is kind of goofy. Mm-hmm. They just stand there being creepers, smiling like, "What are you doing? Get out of here! I'm creeping." Yeah, but also the dead. Speak. That's speak. And they like to watch parties, so that's a little yeah. that's a little unfair on your yeah, part. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, it was it was. I I do think as we were rewatching yesterday, I know. Yeah, I get Qui Gon in there. Okay, I get that. I do think it would have been a stronger ending if it had ended on him saying hello there to Luke. That felt like a boom, and then instead having him see Qui Gon, and then Qui Gon's like. Okay, bye. I'm gonna walk off. Oh. <laughs> it's very good. It's just goofy. It's goofy. I'm not complaining, um, but it was goofy. And then here's another thing, and I, I don't know that either of us are equipped to discuss it. Um, I had it in my head somewhere that based in those episodes of Clone Wars Lost Missions, when Yoda makes contact with Qui Gon Jinn, that they had decided in canon that. Qui-Gon hadn't quite perfected the technique, and that's why he was just a disembodied voice right, and not yeah, a yeah. ghost. But then here we have him show up as a ghost, which, I mean, it doesn't break anything for me. I don't care. But it's also, but, you know, he's had 10 years to... Well, so he's training in the afterlife, I guess. Yeah, he's training in the afterlife. So I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, it's just brave for Disney to bring Liam Neeson back with everything <laughs> that's been happening with Liam Neeson. I think brave is a strong word. Um, but no, I, I, I thought that the, when you said it should have ended on hello there, Mm -hmm. I thought you were going to say that's what he should have said to Qui-Gon and then, then it ends. Qui-Gon shows up and he's like, hello there. (laughs) But why did he walk away? I was just so goofy. So goofy. Oh, he's got work. He's got work. They got work to do. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get started. Which is again. So, I mean. Left with, if this is the last we see of Ewan McGregor's Kenobi and stuff, and this is this is all we get, then I guess I'm left to believe that Qui-Gon Jinn's like, come on, follow me into the desert, where I'll convince you that Luke is a chosen one and Anakin needs to die. Yeah, and then also, they're gonna do, like, a extended release of um, episode five and six, and Qui-Gon's, like, also a force ghost, like, right. behind a tree, right. like, right. so he's a chosen one. Yeah. No, if you don't, if you know, if you didn't know them, you can't see them when they're dead. You have to know them first. That's the rule. That's the rule. Qui-Gon's in the voice cutscene in episode nine, right? I would imagine. Would know. Well, it would surprise me if you, I mean. You have, you have that scene etched into goosebumps on your arm. <laughs> um, all right, so that was your, we're good? Yeah. I mean, we already recorded our 200 episode. We recorded that yesterday. That comes out next week. And then yeah. we're taking a break, and we'll be back in September for Andor. But well, I think we may end up doing 
they're going to end up doing a Disney gallery thing for Obi-Wan, so we'll probably do that. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we don't do that. Um, oh, we're going to do it. With the Mudhorn Rakers. We're going to do it. Um, and then we do have to talk about when Bad Batch and Andor are going to double up. Oh! I haven't told you my idea. Or no, I have. For both of them? No, you haven't. Oh, I hadn't told you that? About Yeah, how... I think I have an idea of how we handle that. Okay. Yeah. Poboispodcast at gmail.com, at Poboispodcast. Check out episode 200 next week. What? <laughs>